Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. Sustainable Stories is here to bring you the stories behind sustainability in our communities. From big to small, practical to theoretical, we're exploring the people and projects that are working to make our world a more sustainable, equitable, and healthy place to live. Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Inglot, and today I have with me Jay Maye, who I know from, um, well, a few things, but um, one of my favorite things about Jay and what we're going to talk mostly about today is about uh, something that Jay started called the Carbonless Concert Series. So he's going to talk a little bit about that. Um, Yeah, so welcome, Jay. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, that was fun. Um, so to start off, I, I have a couple of questions, but we can just kind of talk through and hear a bit about your experience. But um, to start off, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, all that fun stuff? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so I'm originally from New Brunswick, um, where I am right now. Actually, we're uh, just visiting my my parents here for the holidays. So we got here a couple of weeks ago, just finished our big quarantine and <laughs> finally able to hang out with them. But uh, yeah, uh, well, Jenna, I met you in Saskatoon. So I moved there um, back in 2013, 2014 to uh, complete my graduate studies. Um, so I started my master's out here on the East Coast and then I, uh, I moved out there to continue that. Um, so we went to the same school <laughs> and uh, we have the same degree, I think, as well. Um, so I finished yeah. my master's with the School of Environment and Sustainability out there. Um, and then I uh, just recently finished my PhD, so a recent PhD graduate. Um, yeah, I've, we, yeah, we love Saskatoon. We've been there for, you know, seven, eight years now. And uh, that's kind of where the Carbonless Concert Series was born. So I uh, started thinking about that a little while ago. But anyways, I'll let you... Uh, carry on there before I get too carried away. (laughs) No, that's okay. Um, I'll probably bug you a little bit to share about your research more at the end, um, because I think it's relevant and interesting from a sustainability perspective as well. Um, But you you said that the Carbonless Concert Series was born um, in Saskatoon, which is very cool. Uh, But what, can you tell me a little bit more about how that was born? you know, like where did that idea first start or where did the inspiration for it come from, I guess? Yeah, I think I started thinking about it um, right when I started my PhD, actually. So it would have been 2015. Um, And I don't remember what exactly sparked the idea. I think I I remember thinking early on, you know, I might have actually been sitting in our um, PhD seminar or whatever, um, and I was just reflecting, so I'm a longtime musician. Um, I've been playing guitar for like 20 years. My father's a musician. So I kind of grew up around it as well. And being from the East coast, everybody and their dog plays acoustic guitar. Right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, totally. So I, yeah, this is something, a passion. Yeah. For me that developed kind of, um, more so during high school, I was in a heavy metal band for like six years. Um, I toned it down quite a bit since then. So more on the folk, folk rock style stuff now, but, uh, um, anyways, yeah, sitting, sitting in, I think probably that the PhD seminar and just reflecting on, you know, something that was a passion of mine, which is musical performance and reflecting on kind of the carbon footprint of those kinds of things. And 
you know, not necessarily on a small scale, like I do acoustic, you know, um, you know, small performances, but you know, the big performances, they have these huge lighting systems and these walls of speakers. And, um, I mean that, yeah, in my mind, it just seemed like an incredible use of power and, you know, I never really looked into it, but, uh, it, it must be pretty, pretty incredible, um, what kind of energy they're using to, to power that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it kind of just was born from that and just me reflecting on, you know, is there a, a better way or a different way of doing that? And just being in, in uh, yeah, like uh, interested in, in solar, I thought maybe, you know, we could do something small scale and uh, yeah, just kind of demonstrate that there is a different way of approaching those kinds of things. So I'm just realizing now as we're talking about this, um, I, I mean, I know what the Carbonless Concert Series is because I've attended a few and promoted it a bit and I'm always talking about it. But um, just for our listeners, can you tell us a bit about, you know, what 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 it what the Carbon Car- Carbonless Concert Series was um, and how it sort of worked and how often you did it and those types of things. And then, I mean, I understand we're in the middle of a global pandemic, so these are not things we have on the go right now. Um, but yeah, so tell us a bit about what it is and then maybe if you can add sort of any future plans you have for it. Sure, yeah. Um, so yeah, again, it kind of sparked from that reflection on whether there's some some way to do it differently. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've always kind of gigged around and, and played shows here and there. Um, and originally the idea was I was going to get a little folding solar panel um, and charge up. I bought a busking amp. Um, so it just runs on AA batteries, essentially like 16 or eight of them. I can't remember, but, um, and I was going to charge up those rechargeable batteries with my tiny portable solar power or a solar panel. And then, you know, do my busking or play my shows at um, wherever. And then, so like that, that's kind of the the seed. And then uh, I, I walked into Delish by Tish Cafe Um you know, so I, I think it started around 2016. I think October, September, October 2016 was maybe my first um, official kind of carbonless concert show. Um, I did maybe a few things before then. I think Moso Fest, there's a couple music fests that come through Saskatoon. So I set up like busking stages for them, I think early on. But yeah, Delish is kind of when I started it on my own. Um, yeah, so I walked in there and just was talking to Tish and she's amazing, the owner and um yeah she liked the idea and um so essentially what I ended up doing rather you know it built you know it grew a little bit from the folding solar panel thing but I ended up um doing quite a bit of research online there's not as much as you might think um about you know um small solar system like solar generators um Mm -hmm. so something like a battery pack that you could charge up with with solar panels so I did I think like took me three or four months of research before I was comfortable because I'm not an electrician at all but um, until I was comfortable kind of putting two wires together or whatever. So uh, I ended up building these small solar generators using more or less kind of these glorified kind of car batteries, like 12 volt batteries, um, a solar charge controller, which I can plug into, you know, now I have a, a little bit of a larger collection of solar panels, um, a couple hundred watt panels, some bigger things um, and an inverter so that I could use the power from the battery. Essentially, that's what it looks like. Um, and then I just lug those around, uh, to my gigs, usually on my bike with my little bike trailer to, you know, go above and beyond and make sure that everything is kind of carbonless in that sense. Um, and then it's also a way to, um, showcase other local musicians, 
Um, so, you know, I often do a little bit of an intro and play a bit and then, uh, yeah, introduce some, some local musicians, um, that I can then, um, you know, pay cause that, that's really important to me being a musician. Um, you know, it's, it's tough out there and increasingly so. Um, mm. so yeah, that was another kind of one of the things that I wanted to make sure I'm doing is offering them like a fair wage or a fair, um, you know, fee for, um, for what they're offering us. So, uh, it was just another way to kind of, um, support something I believe in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. And actually now that you say, I'm, I'm just reflecting where, where you said, it, you know, it took you about three or four months to figure out all the components that you needed and feel comfortable, like plugging things in. And now I'm, I'm recalling, you know, I think we kind of met, I was still working for uh, my energy at the time. Uh, and I, I remember that being a challenge because a lot of the solar companies, I guess the solar companies that exist in uh, Saskatoon or in Saskatchewan or, you know, really all over the place are really focused on kind of larger scale installations and not really that, um, you know, off grid type of single use or, or, or smaller scale stuff. So yeah, I remember having that conversation with you actually about, uh, you know, well, what do I need? And I, I remember being like, well, I don't know, like if it was, if it was going into your house or on the roof or whatever, I could tell you more about that, but I don't know what you need to right. to run your amp or how that works. Cause they are quite different systems. So anyways, you, you put a lot into figuring that out because right. it was hard to get the information. So yeah, no, absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. A lot harder than you might think. Yeah. 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 Um, so do you have any idea? And I, I know it's such a strange, uncertain time right now, but, um, you know, do you have a, any vision or idea of where you'd like to see the carbonless concert series go in the future? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was always kind of be going to be a small scale thing for me. Um, yeah, I guess to take a step back again. Yeah. I, I you know, I was contracted to do it to set up some of these busking, busking stages, but again, you know, um, everybody kind of wants something for nothing, especially when it comes to music and they think you're more than happy to donate your time. And I have nothing against, you know, people going out and playing music just for the love of it. And, mm-hmm. but you know, what a lot of musicians I think don't realize is that they do, you know, it is, they have something to offer, right. It is, uh, like it's a service and it's a talent that not everybody has and that it takes, you know, years and years to develop. And so, yeah, just not to undervalue yourself. So I think I was getting frustrated early on with everybody, you know, or not everybody, but, you know, a few um, different, you know, festivals and institutions that I was working with that were kind of like trying to, you know, just have me get some free music, whatever, or get some free entertainment. Um, So yeah, I kind of just took it on myself. And that's when I, you know, found the venue myself and set it up myself and charge cover at the door so that that goes to the musicians, that kind of stuff. So at the peak of it, I was doing it monthly at Delish, I think throughout like 2016, 2017. Um, and then eventually I was approached um, by Canada 150. Um, the Ukrainian Congress got some money. Um, and so they uh, sponsored a big show. I think that would have been maybe 2018. Um, and so we had like a big show at the, um, the GSA there at the U of S, the Graduate Student Association, mm-hmm. the church there. Yeah. Um, which we offered for free to, for anybody to attend and, um, you know, got three or four bands and that was a lot of fun. So 
Yeah, that's kind of as much as it grew. And I did a couple of those kind of bigger shows. Um, but, and there was always, you know, I, I did have a couple meetings. I had a meeting with a Kirby from the Broadway. Um, yeah, there, there was definitely interest. And I, you know, I had meetings with Jazz Fest and, and these people, I mean, Kirby's amazing. He has a crazy solar array on the Broadway theater and they all think big picture, you know, like if we could build this big, like truck trailer stage with, you know, a huge solar array and a bank of batteries and like, you know, thinking on the scale of like, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And for me, it was always, I don't know. I just never, I mean, of course with graduate school and like work and other stuff, it was always a side project, but um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I could say that, you know, that's a kind of a long-term dream maybe, but I don't, I don't know if I want to get it under, out of control. Like it, it's kind of nice having that intimate setting with, you know, just a few folk bands and keeping it small like cafes and stuff. And yeah, I don't know, it might feel different. It was, if it was, you know, a, a stage at the jazz fest or something a big scale like that. But I mean, it would be amazing if, if we ended up there, but we'll see, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It would definitely, I think it would be amazing as well. Like the idea of maybe someday all of jazz fest being, carbonless like that would just be you know I mean mm -hmm. there's a context to that obviously as close as you can get it but um you know something like that would be really really neat but also I think it's of course yeah. it's it's really unique the way that you've done it in the sense that I just remember when we asked you to play for us at the the Saskatchewan Environmental Society's fun run that Pam Grote and I right. had put together and we asked you to play and I just remember we were setting up and you you know you pulled up on your bike and you had your bike trailer and all your gear was loaded and then you know with kind of within kind of five minutes or ten minutes or so you had everything set out um you know your whole setup and it was just really neat like you wouldn't get that same yeah you wouldn't quite get that same like intimacy or that same uh vibe from from a huge show mind you the huge show would also be very cool but yeah different uh different feeling for sure right right so, yeah yeah um cool yeah so, and I mean for me sorry yeah, there, there's no, a bit of a delay ahead. between us here too <laughs> no, no yeah just to add like um it, it was never kind of about as much as it is, you know, a, a carbonless initiative or, uh, you know, a solar powered initiative, uh, like you said, carbonless to, you know, whatever degree we can possibly make it. Um, it was never really about the energy savings because my, my setup is, is very energy efficient and it's almost negligible. Right. So like something on the jazz fest scale, oh my God, you know, we're making huge strides in terms of like reducing a carbon footprint there. But for me, it was always more about just starting a conversation about sustainability in a way so or demonstrating that it was possible to do this on a small scale or demonstrating that it was possible to do this kind of thing in a different way and maybe you know hoping to spark some ideas in other people and, and getting that conversation going so it was always more about that than the actual tangible and energy savings but you know obviously it's fun to walk in and the, the lights are dimmed and we get the led lights going and the candles and everything so yeah um, yeah anyways that's very cool. Actually, on, on that note, um, I guess, you know, on this podcast and just in general, uh, you know, we, we use the term sustainability. And I think 
we've asked this question to anyone who's been on on the show so far with the sort of intent of having kind of a running uh a working definition of the term sustainability because it's it's well mm -hmm. i mean for those of us in this space it's it's used in different contexts in different ways and has different meanings in different fields um so i'm curious i guess kind of shifting gears a little bit um but from your perspective, can you sort of, you, you talked about it from the perspective of the Carbonless Concert Series and what you were focused on there um, and starting those conversations. But from your perspective, um, can you describe a bit about what, you know, what sustainability means to you or how you define that term? For concept? sure. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's a, it's a notoriously vague term, right? It's people <laughs> yeah. and especially especially in industry, people kind of twisted to mean what they want it to mean. Um, but my definition probably comes more from like a formal academic, you know, in sustainability sciences, I'm sure yours is kind of leaning in that direction too. So, you know, the three pillars, environment, society, and, uh, and economy. Um, but a bit of a hot take, maybe from my perspective, you know, maybe things have been skewed so far on the economic side, or, you know, things have been leading, leaning a little far on that economic pillar more than the societal and environmental pillars. So I would almost say, you know, to, to write that wrong or to like equalize or bring things into balance that I think maybe we should shift our focus more heavily on the environment and society side. But um, yeah, I mean, it's sustainability is just about having that kind of, it's a holistic look at, um, yeah, being able to sustain something long-term, not causing harm to either the environment, society, or, you know, the economy. But as I said, you know, often it's not, it's not that balanced. So often things are kind of skewed towards the economy, unfortunately, but uh, yeah, I yeah. don't know if, if we can write that balance or we can kind of shift things more in the other direction, that, that would mm -hmm. probably help long-term. Yeah, for sure. That's an interesting, I hadn't, I haven't spent much time thinking about it in that sort of, well, I mean, I think about it in balance, but in that way that you talked about the three pillars and how, you know, mm. there's been so much focus on the economic pillar that, you know, maybe moving forward, the only way to rebalance that is to sort of shift that focus, maybe not entirely away, but definitely putting a lot more weight right. in the other two buckets for a while, absolutely a long while. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably longer than most people would like, but um, probably yeah. necessary. Um, and I think, you know, 2020 has been a lot of things, but, um, you know, I think whether it's on the society side or the social side and the equity side, um, you know, I think it's brought to light this sort of need for, for, uh these movements to to come together and work together so whether it be sort of the sustainability environment climate change movement with also all of the things going on around social justice and human rights globally um and in our own backyards so i think yeah a shift on that you know not just leaving social challenges out of the environmental challenges and hoping that those pillars kind of talk to each other rather than happening in these silos, which I think happens. Yeah. Really often. Absolutely. So. Yeah. No. Yeah. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. So on that note, uh, Jay, you mentioned, you know, you, you come at it from kind of a science science background or scientific background. Um, 
and I know this wasn't the I really wanted to hear about and I was hoping listeners would be excited to hear about the Carbonless concert series but can you talk a little bit about your um you know your academic background and and uh your sort of academic career and your research and the things that that you're working on I'm also very yeah of course about yeah it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I, I have an environmental science background so that's my undergrad uh, I did my undergrad here in New Brunswick at uh, Mount Allison University um, in environmental science, and then um, at with the School of Environment and Sustainability since then for my master's and PhD. Um, but I'd consider myself, yeah, an environmental scientist kind of above all, but all, like, um, more specifically, I'm a dendrochronologist or a forest ecologist, kind of both. Um, and a dendrochronologist, it's probably a new word for a lot of your listeners, but maybe less so now. There's an amazing book, actually, if you want to learn more about dendrochronology, Tree Stories. Um, by uh, Dr. Truett, um, Valerie, I think. Anyways, uh, amazing book um, all about the science and, and how it kind of came to light. That I'm getting off topic, but <laughs> so dendrochronology, I essentially just interpret the stories that trees have to tell. So we measure tree rings, uh, which tell us about, um, you know, how old the tree is, but not only that, but how it's growing year to year. Um, and tree rings are really interested because they're kind of fixed in time. If left to their own devices, trees will typically put a ring on every year. Um, so that's why we can tell how old they are by counting the rings, but we go a step further and measure the rings as well. So it tells us, you know, um, if it had a good growing season, a bad growing season, when those things happen. Um, and then we can correlate or we can um, relate that to climate. Um, and so it tells us a lot about past climates, um, how those things are changing, um, but more than that. So that's kind of where my uh, research kind of focuses is on the tree growth climate relationships. Um, and once you kind of understand about that relationship between tree growth and climate, uh, we can not only say a lot about past climates, but how future climate might then impact the forests. Um, and so my focus is on the, the boreal forest in Canada, which is hugely important. I know I don't need to tell you, um, <laughs> but you know, I think I, I trying to think of the stats here, but it's, you know, three quarters of the earth's coniferous forest and the boreal forest. It's like Canada, I think has a 10th of the world's forests or, and Canada is about a third covered in forests and most of that's boreal. So it's, you know, huge, important um, resource here, especially, you know, as we move forward with these challenges of climate change, um, mm -hmm. you know, it might be one of our saving graces. So, um, yeah, I'm interested in kind of how climate change is going to impact the boreal forest long term. Um, and uh, yeah, I also study kind of the carbon cycle and how that might change uh, moving forward with climate change as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. Does that cover it, I think? Yes. Um, oh, also, I have so many questions about this stuff. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I feel like we may, maybe we'll need another episode just to talk a little bit more about that because um I mean I I'm already really interested I um and you know uh, my husband Matt is just so uh interested and obsessed with trees and doesn't come from a science background mm -hmm. at all um but is always you know interested in learning about different things but um you know can you so from from some of the research work that you've done I mean one of the questions that comes to mind is um you know what are people, so this podcast is really aimed at, at people and the changes, you know, we all maybe need to make or focus on, um, 
but from your research and, and your experience in that field, sort of how can people or what can people do to, you know, be a part of that cause or help that cause when it comes to the boreal forest? Like what is going on there that, um, you know, that people could maybe have a better understanding of and, and change some of the ways that they are living that could help that? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> As you know, I mean, a lot of these things have legacy effects, right? So, I mean, already the emissions, and I don't want to go too far in the doom and gloom. Of course, there are things we can do now to reverse things. But um, yeah, the boreal forest is it there. We're going to see changes regardless of what we do today. Um, and that's mm -hmm. just the, the fact, right? And I'm not saying it's too little too late. Of course, we need to, you know, start to curve our emissions. And that's kind of the main thing, right? Like we've we've been going business as usual, more or less, for the last little while, um, and burning a lot of fossil fuels and contributing a lot to that, you know, the level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And already, yeah, it takes the climate system a long time to equalize. So just just based on what we already have in the atmosphere, we're going to see further warming. And that is without a doubt going to have an impact on the forest, regardless whether we like it or not. We're going to see changes and those changes, you know, it's not a, uh, there's not one answer to that question, like what, it, what the forest is going to look like. It's going to vary from species and geographically Canada's huge. So even, you know, if we're looking at a species, a widespread species like trembling aspen, for example, you know, what happens here out, or in Saskatoon out West, uh, Alberta in the prairies, um, to that tree is going to look very different to, you know, how it might look out here on the East coast. But mm -hmm. I mean, it's the, the main thing is just, yeah, curving those emissions. I think um, investing in alternatives, uh, renewables, the, just, you know, diversifying our energy portfolio, um, mm -hmm. all those kinds of things are going to have huge impacts and be able to kind of minimize um, how bad those things are going to get, or not necessarily bad, but like how, big of a change we'll see in the boreal forest or in any forest here in Canada. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, I've, in a few of the previous episodes, we've talked a bit about, um, you know, people seeing these places and being a bit more connected um, mm -hmm. to them. I you know when I was growing up, I, uh, I spent a ton of time, my family, maybe not the most environmentally friendly, but my family spent a ton of time snowmobiling in Northern Saskatchewan. And that was my, you know, I grew up on the flattest land, bald prairie, um, you know, big industrial agriculture and lots of oil and gas in our region. And, um, but spent at least two weeks, sometimes three every year in the boreal forest and, you know, met trappers and, you know, local people who were really connected to that place. Um, yeah. And I attribute a lot of my life and, and the choices that I've made to those experiences um, because I got to be there and, and see it. And not that everyone has that ability or globally is, is going to be able to have that ability. But I think, uh, you know, us as individuals spending some time, whether it's just a drive to a national park for the weekend or something but some way yeah. of sort of connecting with that yeah. space and understanding that this is you know this is what we have we stand to lose potentially right or or at mm -hmm. least maybe be very drastically different like right now it's so such a joy to go to 
the boreal and it's amazing. You could just go on such a short little hike and see so much wildlife and so many different species of birds. And, you know, what's that going to look like in the future? We don't know. So, um, I find, yeah, that, that, that lived experience of being there and then understanding that, uh, you know, the things that we do, the, where we choose to get our power from, which isn't necessarily a choice, but that's a whole other thing. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but yeah, you know, how much, whatever we can do as individuals, which again, is not always, you know, we're not necessarily, uh, there's some bigger changes that play here that are needed too, but, um, you know, being connected to those places, I think plays a huge role in, in how we live our lives moving forward. So. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So maybe the takeaway there is to take your kids outside. Cause I, I, I mean, I have a similar experience to you, you know, like growing up, going camping with my dad every year, scuba diving out here on the East coast, that kind of stuff. And just, you know, feeling a connection to nature, I think is hugely important. And nowadays there's something called nature deficit disorder, NDD in kids. Right. And yeah, we, you know, the more urban environments we're in and the less green and green space uh, is hugely important as, as well. But yeah, just rebuilding that connection is a, a great way to, you know, start to ignite that spark maybe. But I agree, everybody has a, a role to play. And I think to take to maybe pull it back around to the Carbonless Concert thing is if you you know, if you start from a place of passion, like I did with my music and reflecting on how I might be able to make a change in that kind of um, sphere. Yeah. If you start from a place of passion, you'd be surprised as to how, how far you'll take something. Right. But I mean, mm-hmm. any little small changes, I mean, even something as simple as just buying certain things in bulk and bringing your own or just bringing your own or, uh, you know, grocery bags to the, to the, you know, and these things, those small changes just end up being your new norm. Right. And other things, maybe you'll try and they won't stick like, you know, paper towel are pretty convenient things to, and that's a, a discussion we're having in our household right now. Um, <laughs> cause I don't want to use paper towel, but they're so convenient. So that's one thing that we haven't been able to make the switch yet, but hopefully soon. And I mean, you know, yeah, those things just become your new norm or like eating beef. Like we stopped, we haven't eaten beef or we haven't purchased beef in a couple, few years now and it, we don't miss it really, you know, it's, and, and that that's not for everybody, but that's the change that we were willing to make. And it was an easy change for us and it just becomes your, your new normal. Right. So I don't know yeah. anything, anything you can do. That's awesome. So yeah, thanks for sharing that, Jay. I think that's a really good way to to end off. I think the two takeaways there being you know, maybe start with something you're really passionate about and then think of a way that mm-hmm. maybe it could be more carbonless, maybe not hundred percent carbonless, or maybe not, <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe not zero waste hundred percent, but as close as you right. can strive towards. Right. So I think that's a, a really great takeaway. And then yeah, just continuing to find things in our lives that are um you know, that we can make those shifts and make those changes and start small. So yeah, paper towel is an interesting one. We gave that up last year and, uh, (laughs) (laughs) and (laughs) people will come over and are like, can I have a paper towel? And I'm like, no, you can't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're still working on that one. Well, maybe, maybe in the next, next couple months, I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) Good luck. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting, (laughs) but you're right. It's not easy. It's just, 
yes. But once you get there, there's all these little things that they just kind of become your new norm. So I think we can all Mm -hmm. be a part of that. So Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jay. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to bother you after the episode because I'd love to link um, for anybody listening. I'd love to link that uh, book that you recommended, the Tree Stories book. For sure. Um, and then anything else that you mentioned throughout throughout the episode that you'd like to share with listeners, I'm happy to take those links and share them as well. So thank you so much, Jay. I really appreciate it. But yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Sustainable Stories podcast. This podcast is hosted by myself, Jenna Inglot, and the lovely Roxanne Wagner from Sage Sustainable Solutions Consulting. For a full list of past episodes, as well as our schedule for upcoming episodes, check us out online at sagesustainable.com. And as always, we welcome your feedback, thoughts, and suggestions. Catch you next time.